Well, good morning. Um, if you have never been here before, I am not Pastor Lowell. Pastor Lowell is still waiting on a stubborn little baby to come and um, be born. So he's there in Virginia. Keep that in prayer. And um, that he and Diane would be so blessed to greet their uh, grandchild. But with that, could you please open your Bible to 1 Samuel chapter 8. And our verses today, um, our verse today is in chapter 8, verse 22. Um, the power of prayer has been amazing. And the fact that um, this, for quite a while now, we haven't been able to get sound out to the hallways and to the other rooms out there from this podium. Everything else worked but this podium. Um, but through prayer, um, God delivered. He brings us a young man who was knowledgeable and skillful and came up with the way on how to fix it. And it was just beautiful how prayer has been answered this morning already. So with that, 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse 22. I, that is our text for today. But I want to just back it up with verse, starting with verse 20. Um, and these are the elders speaking to Samuel, and they're making a request. In verse 20, it says, that we also may be like all the nations, and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. And Samuel heard all the words of the people, and he repeated them in the hearing of the Lord. So the Lord said to Samuel, heed their voice and make them a king. And Samuel said to the men of Israel, every man go to a city. These kings that we're talking about, and we're going to focus on three of them, actually four of them, but the three kings especially are um, Saul, David, and Solomon, who are the three kings um, that reigned over a united Israel is afterwards, after Solomon and Solomon's son, Rehoboam, that the kingdom becomes divided. Ten nations of the north becoming um, the Israel and the two nations in the south that were Judah. But these three kings are going to be ruling in a united front, a united nation. wasn't always um, fun and games with the, with the tribes. There was conflict between them. But for now, these three kings would reign over a united kingdom. Um, when starting this, I'm always wondering, is this what really the Lord wants me to share? And if you've been here long enough or in your personal life, you'll understand that there are confirmations or affirmations from God that show up. And as you look at the monitor, for those that you, of you that can see the monitors here and those who can't see it, you... Um, as you're watching, you can catch it on Facebook later. But I had picked this verse, chosen this verse, and didn't tell Lowell anything about um, that the fourth king, the king of kings, would also be included. But he puts up this beautiful picture up here with, of course, the golden crown with the jewels and then the perfect crown, the mm -hmm. crown of thorns. Mm -hmm. And that's where our text is going to end up. Um, the behavior of these kings is quite remarkable. Now, we all think of, okay, you have Saul, who is the first king. And the warning that God gives to Samuel and to the children, 
of what their king is going to be like. But understand, this does not talk of just Samuel, per se. It speaks of every king that, the, that will rule over Israel and Judah. Um, in 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse 7, God says this to Samuel. And he says, The Lord said to Samuel, Heed the voice of the people in all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me, that I should not reign over them. When you realize their requests that they're making, and God's, God's going to lay out for us the behavior of these kings, when you realize that they're rejecting the most perfect reign possible by God, he was perfect in all his, his reigning over them. He was, he was conducting himself not through... Um, a deceived heart, you know, he wasn't picking winners and losers. During God's reign for Israel, he was perfect in all ways. They want to substitute that for uh, a man who's going to be failure upon failure. Um, that even includes David and Solomon. Um, if you were, if I were to title this differently, you would see here. Um, the good, the bad, not the ugly, <laughs> but the mostly good. And that would be Saul, that would be David, and that would be Solomon. Saul being the bad, David the good, and Solomon mostly good. Um, and then there's the perfect, and that is our king of kings. So um, they are willing to substitute the perfect reign of God for one that is going to be imperfect and bring all sorts of troubles upon Israel, both the united Israel and in the divided Israel. And he's going to list for us just exactly all these trials and tribulations and hardships that Israel is going to go through, no matter which king it is. Yes, David was a godly man. David, and throughout um, Judah's reign, there were several very good kings. But all of this boils down to one thing. This is a judgment that's going to be upon the children of Israel. This, no matter what king it is, and no matter how good he has been, this is still going to be a judgment continuing, starting with Saul, and ending up with the last king of Israel, Hosea. In between there, you're going to have 20 kings for Israel, 20 kings for um, Judah. And no matter how good that king is, it's still a judgment that's going to continue on um, the children of Israel. So, in verse 9, he says this, First uh, Samuel chapter, uh, chapter 8, verse 9, Now therefore heed their voice, this is God talking to Samuel, however you shall solemnly forewarn them, and show them the behavior of the king who will reign over them. This is a judgment coming. God um, had said these very things way back in Deuteronomy. And if you were here for Wednesday, you know where I'm going with this. But in Deuteronomy chapter 17, God, in the beginning, told them that they were going to have a king. In Deuteronomy chapter 17, verses 14 through 20, God, God tells them this. Now, 
he's been telling the children of Israel, giving them statutes and regulations and ordinances and commands to follow as the children of Israel had gone out of Egypt. And now he's telling them how they're going to be conducting their lives. And in the midst of this, in the midst of giving him statutes, giving him ordinances, commands, he slips in this um, principles on a governing king. Because all these kings were put in place by God. Yeah, I know it seems like Samuel, or for Saul, that it was chosen by the people. Now, God was just giving him the man. He raised up Saul, and it was um, God himself who installed Saul as all the kings of Israel. But in verse 14 of Deuteronomy chapter 17, it says this, God is telling him this, when you come into the land which the Lord your God is giving you and possess it and dwell in it and say, I will set a king over me like all the nations that are around me, you shall surely set a king over you whom the Lord your God chooses, one from among your brethren who shall you shall set as king over you. You may not set a foreigner over you who is not your brother, but he shall not multiply horses for himself. Now God is giving the, the command of this, what the king should not do. Understand, most of them broke every one of these rules right from the beginning when the kings came into power. You shall not multiply horses for himself, nor cause the people to return to Egypt to multiply horses, for the Lord has said to you, you shall not return that way again. Neither shall he multiply wives for himself, lest his heart turn away, nor shall he greatly multiply silver and gold for himself. Also it shall be when he sits on the throne of his kingdom that he shall write for himself a copy of this law in a book from the one before the priests, the Levites. Verse 19, And it shall be with him, and he shall read it all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God and be careful to observe all the words of this law and these statutes, that his heart may not be lifted above his brethren, that he may not turn aside from the commandment to the right hand or to the left, and that he may prolong his days in his kingdom and he and his children in the midst of Israel. God had laid out this um, set of statutes and law for a king to follow. Understand, um, he knows that the majority of them are not going to follow that. They're going to break pretty much every one of them. But it goes to show you that these kings here picked winners and losers throughout their reign. Um, They were the ones who uh, would pick people and men to be their servants, to be their chariot drivers, their horsemen, and even their army. Back, um, back in our text, First uh, Samuel chapter 8, um, their desire was for a king because, and I understand that it is, for them it was difficult to worship and believe in a God who you, and have faith in a God who you couldn't see. Um, around them, well, they celebrated their kings with statutes, statues and altars and many things um, which they took pride in 
And this is what the children of Israel are looking for. They're looking for a king that will judge them and go out before them to fight their battles. Interestingly, God chooses a man who is different from all the children of Israel. And um, as we'll get into it, will show us just where the heart of the children were and then where the heart of God is. Because God's next king chosen after Saul is the one that he desired to be from the beginning to rule and reign over the children. Um, verses back here in verse 11, now God is going to tell, have Samuel tell the children just what type of behavior their king is going to be that they select. And in verse 11, it says this, of chapter 8 for Samuel, and he said, this is Samuel telling the people what the words of the Lord, and he said, this will be the behavior of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them for his own chariots and to be his horsemen, and some will run before his chariots. Note the word here that he will take, and it's very key and important because that word take can mean to seize. And this is what the kings throughout had done. They're going to take what they want and what they desire. Our perfect king, as we'll get into our Lord Jesus, was so opposite of that. His army that he built was all volunteer army. Um, but here, the, God is explaining or sharing with them that he's going to take your sons and appoint them for his own chariots and to be his horsemen, and some will run before his chariots. When God is sharing the behavior of this king, keep in mind, this is all the kings that are going to come afterward. This does not does not matter if it's David, who is good, Solomon, who is good, uh, Hezekiah, or Josiah, these good kings. This is going to be the behavior of all of them. And one thing to remember is that even though Judah had good kings, Israel, in all the kings that they had, the 20 of them, so none of them were good. They were all bad. And they just continued to get worse. So with this, He's sharing the behavior of the king, but this is the behavior of all kings that are coming. And in verse, um, First Samuel, just a few pages to your right, First Samuel fourteen, verse fifty-two, you get a um, an example of this of what I'm talking about. In First Samuel, chapter fourteen, verse fifty-two as there have been Saul's continuing wars with the Palestines and with the nations surrounding him, um, it says this in verse 52. Now, there was fierce war with the Philistines all the days of Saul. And when Saul saw any strong man or any valiant man, he took him for himself. So, not a volunteer army. This is, this is Saul's was uh, taking. He was seizing for his reign, he was seizing all those that he needed for his successful reign. And it wasn't very successful. Um, continue on, it says in chapter 8, um, verse 12, it says, He will appoint captains over his thousands and captains over his fifties. will set some to plow his ground and reap his harvest and some to make his weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. So 
He is taking the best of the best, um, giving him no choice in the matter, and he is putting him into his army. He is putting him in his servants. Second Samuel chapter 15 talks about the chariots and talks about the horsemen from one who did not reign as king, David's son Absalom, but he did take over the throne. And he is building up an army. And in 2 Samuel chapter 15, verse 1, uh, this is what's going on with Samuel. Again, another one who would hope that he would be king, but he is taking everything. And it says this, after this it happened that Absalom, that is David's son, who is basically portraying David, he is wanting to take the throne away from David, provided himself with chariots and horses and 50 men to run before him. So we see that the behavior doesn't stop with Saul, but it carries on through David, carries on through Solomon, carries on all the way to Hosea. And back in our text, um, 1 Kings chapter 4, verses 26, again, it shares with us the behavior of these kings. And in 1 Kings chapter 4, verse 26, talks about now we've had Saul, we've had Absalom. David is not excused from taking men for chariots and horses. And now we'll see where Solomon had built up his army by taking He had 40,000 stalls of horses for his chariots and 12,000 horsemen. So these three kings, um, including David, um, took what they wanted for themselves. And with that, they picked winners. They would assign those to be the captains over thousands, those to be captains over 50 or hundreds, and then the rest would become servants or servitude um, for the kings. In verse 12, as it said, he will appoint captains over his thousands and captains over his fifties, will set some to plow his ground and reap his harvest, and some to make his weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. In verse 12, 1 Samuel 22, you don't have to turn there. I'll just read it to you real quick. 1 Samuel chapter 22, verse 7. As a note taker, just jot that down. 1 Samuel 22, verse 7. It says, And Saul said to his servants, Now, this is because um, Jonathan, his son, Saul's son, had betrayed him in protecting David. And he's now talking about Um, Well, you'll see as we read verse 7 what he's revealing about his heart and how he's appealing to the people. Saul has murdered or going to murder a bunch of priests that were helping David. And Saul says this in verse 7, said to his servants who stood about him, Hear now, you Benjamites. And Saul is a Benjamite. So not only has he been taking people from all around the nation, but even more so from his, his very tribe where he grew up. He is a Benjamite. Will the son of Jesse give every one of you fields and vineyards 
and make you all captains of thousands and captains of hundreds. When he says the son of Jesse, he's talking about David, who was the son of Jesse. And here he's talking again that there, um, is, is Jesse going to be the one that gives you land, property? Is he the one that's going to pick you as a winner to lead his armies? And he is appointed um, captains over his thousands and captains over his fifties. And he's also using some to plow his ground. So understand, um, where he reigns, he's going to need people to build the place where he lives, tend his fields, um, and these are going to be people in servitude to him. Verse 13, he says, he will take your daughters to be perfumers, cooks, and bakers. And uh, he will take the best of your fields, your vineyards, and your olive groves and give them to his servants. So not only is he going to take the daughters to be perfumers, cooks, and bakers, but he's going to take the best of what you have, your fields and your vineyards and your olive groves, and give them to his servants. You know the story of Ahab. And Ahab um, desired a, a garden and some property um, from one of his subjects, and he would not give it up. And he complained to his wife, um, Jezebel. And Jezebel chastised him and said, you are the one who rules now and reigns. You just go ahead, and I'm going to get you the property. And she would, through um, deception and through a horrible uh, false story, would have the owner of the land killed, and then Ahab would take it. So here, the, the continued behavior of the kings is that they would take whatever they desired, whether it was your best of your land, your fields, your vineyards, and your olive groves, and give them to his servants. If you understand, since he's picked winners, they pick winners and losers, um, they also would enrich their servants, those that they picked as winners. Um, they would take from others, and then they would give to the, he would give to their servants, his servants that were working for him, and they would do better and live better than the people, than the children outside of the kingdom and into the outer areas. In 15, he says, as they continue, this is God, through Samuel, telling them how their king is going to be. He will take a tenth of your grain and your vintage and give it to his officers and servants. And he will take your male servants, your female servants, your finest young men. And in the Greek Septuagint, that can mean, and it kind of flows better, your cattle and your donkeys and put them to his work. He will take a tenth of your sheep and you will be his servants. Here's the sad thing with this. Because of their desire to be reigned by an imperfect man, God says, you will cry out in that day because of your king, whom you have chosen for yourselves, and the Lord will not hear you in that day. Worse yet, they know what they're going to face, but they say, nevertheless, the people refuse to obey the voice of Samuel. And they said, no, but we will have a king over us. Judgment is going to come on them now. This is the start of it. Um, their hearts were to be like the nations around them, um, that they could exalt 
and um, glorify their king. They're willing to take the imperfect over the perfect. Kind of sounds like our lives at times. Many times where we um, desire not to follow the perfect, but to do what our imperfect hearts desire. And when you look at these kings and how they started, um, and the first one chosen, again, God chose Saul. He chose all kings. But you see the contrast between these first three kings and then our perfect king, Jesus Christ. The judgment that's going to come upon him is very much like the judgment that's coming upon this nation right now. Um, Starting, you could probably start it from way back in the 60s when God was slowly started to be removed from public schools, from influence in, in the nation, in the government, and we now sit under that same judgment. Um, he's going to carry us through that because our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, he was the perfect king who gave up everything to come there and live with us and die for us and redeem us with them. So even though we are under the judgment, um, Christ himself is carrying us through. And when he arose again and ascended into heaven, he left the Holy Spirit. We still can have that option of taking him, the perfect king, to rule and reign on our lives. Um, But many times we desire to go follow our own corrupt heart. So contrast the kings here. First of all, Saul... Well, he was a choice and handsome man. He, it, that word choice was excellent selection. Um, there was not a more handsome person than he among all the children of Israel. That was a pretty amazing statement. You, you, he's talking to children of Israel. That means man, women, and child. He was more handsome among the children of Israel than man, woman, or child. He was taller than any of them. Of the people, his father, whose name was Kish, was wealthy. So Saul came from um, a life of wealth to become king. And he um, started his life knowing wealth, but increasing the wealth of his life through taking of so many things. Um, Interesting enough, Every one of these kings that we talk about had been in some way betrayed, betrayed like our Lord was, betrayed by family members or close friends. Um, here, Saul would be betrayed by his son, Jonathan, and Jonathan loving David like a brother and protecting him against his father, who's trying to kill him. Um, David, who follows up after Saul dies, well, David, again, his, he was a keeper of sheep, and God would provide them uh, as, as the true king that he desired from the beginning. In a verse, First uh, Samuel chapter 16, it says this. Chapter 1, God says this because he is explaining to Samuel that this is the one I provided for myself. He says, Now the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul 
after Saul had been um, had rejected God, had um, rejected following the ordinances, rejected the statutes and the commands of God. He says, how long will you mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I'm sending you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite, for I have provided myself a king among his sons. God has chosen from the beginning a desire to choose um, David. Even though David himself, a keeper of sheep, coming from a humble beginning, but a man who had a heart for God, the curse or the judgment didn't stop with David. It just continues on. Yes, because David himself would fail and falter. Um, 1 Samuel chapter 16, 6 and 7, it says this. So it was when they came, he looked at Elihab and said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. Samuel, thinking that um, he's going to be anointing the future king coming. He goes by the appearance, and God corrects him and says this, because when Samuel sees Elihab, one of the brothers of David, another son of Jesse, so when it came that he looked, so it was when he, they came and he looked at Elihab, Eliab and said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord corrected Samuel, and he said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature, because I have refused him, for the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Samuel is just as guilty of seeing just how amazing Saul looked. Remember, he was more handsome than all others. He was taller than head and shoulders over any person in Israel, and he came from wealth. And here's Samuel himself thinking, well, this Eliab must be the one that God's going to choose because, man, he has an amazing physical stature and amazing appearance. But God corrects him and tells him, it's not what the outward appearance, but it's what in the heart, which should have been a qualification for the children picking a king. Um, 1 Samuel chapter 16, verses 12 and 13. Now we get a picture of the king that God is desired to rule and reign over Israel. So in verse 12, this is Samuel. Um, David is brought to him. So he sent and brought him in. Now he was look, looking, he was ruddy with bright eyes and good looking. This is David standing before Samuel. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is the one. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel rose and went to Ramah. What a beautiful anointing. Not only with the symbolic use of the oil um, anointing um, David, but then the anointing of the Holy Spirit coming upon David. And so Samuel rose and went to Ramah. Um, here, the obvious sign that this is the man chosen by God. First Samuel chapter 16, verse 18, while we're here. Um, it also, a servant of Saul, as he explains to him, 
uh, because Saul has a distressing spirit, and he's looking for someone to soothe this distressing spirit upon him. And he's asking those around, who is it that would be um, soothing, play music for me, that would be um, bring me and clear my mind? And a servant to Saul says something further about David's appearance and David's um, character. And if servant says in verse 18 of chapter 16, then one of the servants answered and said, Look, I have seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, who is skillful in playing, a mighty man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, and a handsome person, and the Lord is with him. Totally opposite of what Saul is. Remember, Saul rejected all of the things that God had set him up for. Not to say that Saul didn't do some things right, but very few and that um, David was the one that God had desired from the beginning to choose for the people. Actually, he desired that he still reign and rule over them. But again, they were willing to compromise imperfection um, or perfection from imperfection. They were willing to take imperfection, the rule, and, and um, reign over them. Here again, we'll see that David being this man... Uh, good-looking, ruddy, uh, man of valor, mighty man of valor, skillful in playing music. Of course, the one who wrote the Psalms and many songs. Um, he, too, is going to face, in his reign, betrayal by his son, Absalom, um, who wants to replace his father and take over the, the throne. And he does this one other little thing that is, um, if you remember, um, he committed adultery with Bathsheba, and he killed her husband. So the judgment of David that follows this sword hanging over the, his head over the, for the rest of his life because of that um, adultery that he committed with Bathsheba and killing her husband is, again, just more judgment that's added on to um, the kings that are ruling the third king now here is Solomon, and Solomon started out strong. Man, he was spot on. He sought God. He prayed for no personal enrichment, but just a desire to lead the children. Solomon was wise. Um, David was his father. His mother was Bathsheba, and even though they don't give you a... Uh, clue as to what he looked like or how he was, being that David was very good looking and that his mother, Beth, she was beautiful, you could probably f figure that he um, was pretty good looking himself. Solomon was given wisdom. Solomon was wise. And he desired from the beginning to lead in wisdom the children of Israel. He prayed that God would give him the wisdom, and it pleased God to give him that. Because of that honest and heartfelt prayer, God then enriched him. You know, though, where God said not to multiply chariots and horses, not to enrich yourself with silver and gold, not to um, align yourself with other nations. Um, he, he pretty much broke every one of those rules. He became the richest and wealthiest of the kings. Um, he had 700 wives. He had 300 concubines. People from all over 
would come to him with tribute and give to him silver, gold, horses, chariots, um, wines, oils, all of the best. And they would come and bestow this upon Solomon for his wisdom. Um, He, too, was also uh, betrayed by Adonijah, who was his brother, fourth in line from David, rightfully probably would have been the one that should have sat on the throne after David. But God had said that he, was going to, he had chosen Solomon to be um, the king after David died. And so his brother had, done, had tried to um, take the throne away from Solomon and later, through more deception, tried to take and lessen Solomon's reign as king. So he, too, betrayed. All these kings would be betrayed by family members, close associates, military leaders, um, by godly men that um, professed to be godly. Each one of them in their reign would have a, a family member or a close friend betray them. All these kings were, made, were imperfect. They made selfish decisions. They were self-serving for themselves. Um, they would enrich themselves, and they would take what they thought was rightly theirs. Now there's a fourth king. And even though the children of Israel had desired to be led by kings, um, when this king came on the scene, they rejected him. When their king, the king of kings, came on the scene, they rejected him and despised him. Um, Isaiah gives a good picture of this king, this gentle king. And you know it, we've read it over the years, in Isaiah chapter 53, verses 2 and 3. God is telling Isaiah how the Son of God how the king of Israel is going to be uh, looked, up, looked at. In Isaiah 53, verses 2 and 3, get there in a second. Let's just back it up with one. It says, of chapter 53 in Isaiah, Who has believed our report, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Speaking of... Jesus, he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He has no form that, um, that means splendor or stately form, I should say. He has no stately form or comeliness. He has no splendor. And there is no beauty that we should desire him. He has no appearance that people would desire him. He's going to be despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. That is the appearance of a humble king that came into the world, and he was willing to give up all his riches in heaven, all his power in heaven, to come down and be one of us. And we despised him. He was despised. The children of Israel finally would have their most perfect king, and yet they couldn't stand him. They couldn't 
they could not desire, their heart was not to desire to worship him or obey him. Um, he was gentle. In Matthew eleven twenty nine speaks of this, about our gentle king. Ours that from the way back here in the New Testament is the same gentle king and meek king that we worship now today. And in Matthew 11, chapter, uh, chapter 11, verse 29, it speaks of this meek king um, that, he, that we worship. And we'll back it up to verse 28. This is Jesus speaking. This is our king of kings, the most perfect of us. He says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle, that is meek, and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. What an opposite behavior of a king. Remember, all the kings before Jesus, they took for themselves. They enriched themselves. And they wouldn't, um, they wouldn't offer something like this to their, to their children, to, their, to the, um, who they ruled over. Our king does, though. He desires that you um, would take his yoke upon you and learn from me. In, um, he's a servant also, where the kings of Israel and Judah were not servants. Our, our king is a servant. In Luke chapter 22, verse 7. says this. Luke chapter 22, verse 7. Uh, hang on a second. I'm sorry, 27. Luke chapter 22, verse 27. Jesus again speaking. And um, he's talking to his disciples who were arguing about greatness. And Jesus confronts them with this, and he says, For who is greater, he who sits at the table or he who serves? Is it not he who sits at the table? Jesus asks them that question. Is not the one who is greater is the one who sits at the table? Yet I am among you as the one who serves. You won't find that with the other kings. They would be self-serving, serving themselves. And where our king, Mao, he didn't have horses or chariots. He came by a donkey. And in Matthew twenty-one twenty-five, it says this of him. Um, it speaks of a of a, a prophecy that's coming. Matthew twenty-one, verse five. Jesus. says this. It talks about a, a prophecy that is in Zechariah, almost the exact words. Our king, instead of coming in by chariots, having an army go before him um, with men with swords and spears, chariots and horses, our king comes in differently. He comes in on a donkey. And the prophecy that is from Zechariah 9.9, and we'll turn there shortly, is, tell the daughter of Zion... 
Behold, your king is coming to you, lowly and sitting on a donkey, a colt, a foal of a donkey. And you don't have to turn there, but Zechariah 9.9 is the prophecy that is fulfilled here. Um, It is the same uh, words that were said here in um, Matthew. And 9.9 of Zechariah says this, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. Now, as he further continues, I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the horse from Jerusalem. The battle bowl shall be cut off. He shall speak peace to the nations. His dominion shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. Where? The chariots, the armies, and the soldiers um, would be a visual um, that shows you the power of the kings. The power, most powerful king ever came on a donkey. And he didn't come with swords. He didn't come with spears. He didn't come with an army of men. As a matter of fact, he didn't have captains of thousands or captains of fifties. But he did have... 12 foot soldiers that were going to help, that were going to be his hands and feet. Um, They were going to change the world through Jesus Christ. He would have an army of disciples um, through his ministry, through his three years. Many of them would leave. Um, Many of them would reject what he said. Even his closest friends would betray him. Um, All this that he knew from the beginning what he was going to face. Um, He left heaven for us and died on the cross for us. So our king, the most perfect one, the one who came so humbly, one that um, left heaven where there was an army of angels, where the throne of God was there, where perfection was, he was willing to come down, put that all aside, and be our closest friend and our king. Um, His 12 foot soldiers were remarkable men. Kind of, I should say, unremarkable men. And Mark gives a really good description of them. Note how here he does not take them, but they volunteer. In Mark chapter 1, verse 16 through 20, it talks about the first four disciples that he um, calls, calls to them and they follow. It says in Mark chapter 1, verse 16, And as he walked by the sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Then Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. All this is a voluntary action. All this is um, truly They were involved and they were invested in Jesus Christ. One's taken from their homes. One's taken from their family. Um, They're not invested in these kings. They were not invested in his, um, in their, the king over them. You kind of see that today in the modern, in the battle that's going on between Ukraine and Russia. 
Um, if you're a young man in Russia right now, or any man in Russia right now, you would be conscripted into the army, even if you don't want to be there. Um, and the soldiers who are conscripted in the army, who are taken from their families and taken from their life that they know and put into the battle lines, the front lines, they don't have that heart, that same heart to fight. Um, where these soldiers, these foot soldiers, they are going to have the heart to continue on and spread the word. In verse uh, 18, back to our text in Mark chapter 1, in verse 18, they immediately left their nets and followed him. 19, when he had gone a little further from there, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who also were in the boat mending their nets, and immediately called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and went after him. Again, as you continue on, as he builds up his elite soldiers in Mark chapter 16, verse 20, or I'm sorry, chapter 2, verse 13 and 14, we are introduced to Matthew, who's going to become another foot soldier in his army. In verse 13 and 14, Matthew, the tax collector, then he went out again, speaking of Jesus, by the sea, and all the multitude came to him, and he taught them. As he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax office, and he said to him, follow me. So he arose and followed him. This again being Matthew. And then finally, chapter 3 of Mark, verses 13 and 19, we are introduced to all 12 of the disciples here, the 12 apostles. In chapter 3, starting in verse 13, and he went up on the mountain, called to him those he himself wanted, and they came to him. Then he appointed twelve, that they might be with him, and that he might send them out to preach, and to have power to heal sicknesses and to cast out demons. Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Bonanares, I know I slaughtered that, that is, sons of thunder, Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Canaanite, and then one last one, and Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him, and they went into the house. So even this perfect king in all ways um, picked imperfect man, but he, these were the men that were going to be laying the foundation or following through the laying of the foundation for the first century church, the first century Christians. Um, was he had built up an army of disciples while he was ministering there. He had an unfortunate, um, truly that showed you the, who the real heart of these disciples were that he could count on. And in John 6, verses 60 through 66, this incident that takes place, this historical account that takes place, as Jesus had been feeding a 5,000, and he's teaching and the children, um, telling them about the bread from heaven. In verse, chapter 6, verse 60, this is where the disciples turn away from him. And it says, therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, this is a hard saying. Who can understand it? When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples complained about this, he said to him, does this offend you? 
What then if you should see the Son of Man ascend where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit, and they are life. But there were some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who would betray him. And he said, Therefore, I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted to him by my Father. And from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. So his army of disciples were flux, were in flux. The 12 stayed anchored to them, but many of them left. This is our king. He was perfect in all ways. This is our king who um, should be the one that rules and reigns in our lives and in our heart. But many a times in our heart and in our lives, there are other things that we desire to rule and reign or to be captive of our hearts and mind. Better put, we allow many things to captivate our mind and our heart other than the Lord who is perfect for us. Following his, following the path of Jesus, following the path of the disciples and the roadmap that the Bible is and how to conduct your life is a perfect, is perfect. Jesus was perfect in all ways. Not one decision that he made, not one action that he took, not one time was he in error. God the Father, perfect in all ways, in the way he conducted, um, in the way he conducted himself, in the way he reached out to the children, in the way he reaches out to us today, um, his ways are perfect in all things. He never made an error. He doesn't make a mistake. And it is written for us here in how to achieve a more closer unity to allow him to reign and rule in our hearts. Um, I pray that is so with us, that this perfect king that we know of, who came so humbly to the earth, gave up everything that he had in heaven just to spend time with us, um, and remained perfect while here, remained absolutely perfect um, while he was with us for three years. And then as he departed, he didn't leave us with anything imperfect. He left us with a Holy Spirit who is God, who is perfect. And we can trust in that Holy Spirit um, for our hearts and our minds. Amen? Amen. Amen. Oh, Lord, convict our hearts. It's so easy, as we see the children do, um, accept the imperfect in our lives. Make excuses for that imperfect in our lives. Um, grasp and desire for that imperfect in our lives. The battle for to be ruled and reigned by you is continuing even on now and into the future. But we look forward to that day when we are with the perfect in heaven and no longer will there be anything else to replace you in our hearts. No longer will we have the struggle and desire to replace you with anything else in our lives. You will be the front and center and the only one to fulfill, to fill our hearts. May it be our desire, Lord, that we step out of here, that we continue that desire to put away and put aside anything that would uh, take us away from you um, or replace you. Um, be our Lord. Be our Savior. Um, 
May that be our heart to recognize these things. In Jesus' name, amen.